May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This morning when I rolled out of bed, I did so with great expectation. You know, I wish I could say that about every time I got out of bed. I wish that I could just say, you know what, Lord? Today's a new day. Ah. You know, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed, to just get out of bed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Life is hard. Life can throw things at you that you may not want to try to accomplish. But here's what I know, is that God goes with us. Right? I mean, do we really believe that? Are these just neat little Christianese words that we throw around? Sentences? Sayings? Or do we really believe that? God of the universe is with us. The beginning of the week, uh, it was one of those moments that you'll never forget. It's one of those moments where God speaks. And when God speaks, we better listen. And you know it's God. You know it's not pizza or the morning oats that I had. It was God laying there in bed, trying to pry an eye open, trying to roll out. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a way that I hadn't heard in a while. And I loved it. I want more of it. So please, Lord. He said, I want you to go to James chapter 1. Okay. That was it. And so this week started in a book that, I'll be honest, um, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in. I've spent some time in it, but not a whole lot of time. And the Lord directed me to a set of scriptures that I believe that He wants me to share with you today. He, there was a lot in there. There was a lot that He was pointing at me about. Um, we're not going to get to all of them, obviously, this morning. But we are going to take a look at this idea of missional discipleship through the eyes of James. Through James's lens. Because I believe in the first chapter, and then as we go through it, which we won't have time uh, in the series to, to continue on, but I challenge you to go through the book of James and start seeing things from a missional pr- perspective. This idea that God has transformed me to then go out and make disciples. I dare you not to see it. It's there. Hallelujah. It's there. Why is God shaping us into disciples? We've been asking that question. We've been talking about discipleship. You're probably tired of me saying it over and over and over again. But that's what a series is. A series is, is me just telling you, About the same thing over and over again. Why? Because repetition, through repetition we learn, right? Through repetition we learn. And yet, we've come into a new phase from being a disciple into uh, going and making disciples. And last week we went into the red letter words of Jesus Christ. The words where Jesus said, He was quoted as saying. And we went to the very last words that He spoke here on this earth. And what did He have to say to us? He said, Exactly what I just said. Therefore, go and make disciples. You have become a disciple. Why? So that you can then go and then make disciples. Life isn't about us. It's about others. It's a challenging thing, isn't it? 
And as we have journeyed along through the Scripture, looking at discipleship, and we just turned the corner and we started talking about missional discipleship, and we've been talking about the Apostle Paul. And, and one thing that uh, we've seen along the way is that Paul is a great example of missional discipleship. He was discipled. He became a disciple. And then something happened. Some transforming work through the power of the Holy Spirit happened inside of Paul's life. And then he did what? He went and made disciples. And you can see throughout the scriptures about Paul touching people's lives. You see him um, blessing Timothy. You see him uh, blessing Onesimus. You see him blessing Titus. And over and over and over again, he said, Hey, you over there, come over here. Be with me. Let me teach you about this Jesus. Let it transform your life. And then I'm going to kick you out of the nest. And then you go and make disciples. And Paul's been doing it for 2,000 years. Now, he's in heaven. But his word, the word that he wrote down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is still with us. And he's still making disciples. And that's power. That's life changing. Because God takes ordinary people, just common everyday folk like me. And he does extraordinary things through them. People just like us. That's who God's going after. Ordinary, average Joes. And he's, he's saying, look. What I'm going to do through you. Hallelujah. So I'd ask you to please turn into the book of James. It's in the New Testament. Go past the letters we've been looking at, the Pauline epistles and, and such. Go past that till you find this little bitty book called James in your scriptures and just kind of put your hand there. Let's talk about James for a minute. Who was this guy? Well, he wrote a book, obviously. He named it after himself or somebody attributed it to him. But James was kind of special. He was the physical half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine growing up in that home? I mean, my sister was always the good one, but come on. I mean, Jesus is like sinless. I mean, I know, we joke about that, but I mean, think about it. James is the physical half-brother of Jesus Christ. And what we know through scholarship is this, that he was influential for the gospel message. He was a church leader. And he wrote this specific book for the same purposes, some of the same purposes that Paul wrote some of his. He sees a church in crisis. And what happened was, is this church, wherever church it was, was dealing with hypocrisy, was dealing with fundamentalism, this idea of knowing the Word and letting it stop there. Some don't even like going to the book of James. Some of you, when I said, we're going to the book of James this morning, you went, oh, man. Why? Why is James so intimidating to us? You want to know why I think it is? Because James sees Christianity black and white. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. And then he has the audacity to look into our lives from 2,000 years ago and say, mm-hmm. Mike, white is white, black is black, right is right, wrong is wrong. This is the Word of God. If you're doing this, then you're living inside of what God has for you. And if you're doing this or the opposite, you are not. Some people find that intimidating. But I want to, I want to, I want to challenge us this morning that as we go and we look at the book of James, give it a shot. Because I think 
that if we turn ourselves over to it, our lives will be transformed. If we can turn ourselves, if we can just shut off the mic switch for a minute and just turn on the James switch, I think we'll see things that will blow our minds. This morning, we're going to continue in the series Life Like This. We're going to continue in this idea of missional discipleship and what it looks like when we put on discipleship and actually then go and do it through the lens of James. And I'd ask you to please stand in the honor of reading God's Word this morning. Father, we're going to read some Scripture that is going to seem so simple, but it is not. My heart's cry is that these verses, these short, little, seemingly simple verses, will light a fire in our very souls this morning. Have your way with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be starting with verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. James has crafted a wonderful, wonderful word for us today. And with help from the Holy Spirit, let's take a walk through it. Now, verses 19 through 25, I hope, have seemed familiar to you. Almost like it's review. Because these are the things that we have been talking about, preaching about, teaching about for weeks do you want to be a Christian? Not, not just a mere believer, but a Christian in living in the power of Christ and seeing God's wonder. Then do what God is saying. Again, these are just review notes. You know what's comforting to me? Is how the Word of God just kind of fits together. Out of all these books, written by so many different people, They fit together so wonderfully. What we've been teaching from in the past weeks is from 
from Paul and, and, and from Matthew, and even when we went back to, to Ruth. And yet we're, we're reading from a different writer today, and yet it goes together. Why? Because Paul was of Christ, and Matthew was of Christ, and James is of Christ. Unity in the Word. It's beautiful. As we read through this, we get a little bit of a review, and then as if James... I don't know. I, I, I don't think it was out of fun. I think it was out of instruction. Kind of throws in this little nugget, if you will. Verse 26 kind of wraps up what his review is. Before we go on and talk about missional discipleship, he, he says this. Those who consider themselves religious, even though um, in our today, today's culture people say, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Yeah, this is for you too. Those who... Somebody got it. All right, good. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And then he says this, and their religion is worthless. I'm convinced, even though this isn't about what the whole sermon idea is about, this is kind of like your commercial break. I think James is saying this. Don't Ruin your witness by what comes out of your mouth. If you are going to represent Jesus Christ, then we need to do so even with this. Even when I'm driving. Even when I'm driving. Even when she gets my order wrong. Yes. Yes. Do you want people to see Jesus? Do you think Jesus is a fool? Do you think Jesus is foolish? Do you think Jesus uses swear words and dirty jokes? And no, I don't. I, I really can honestly say with conviction, I don't think Jesus is a fool. He's the Savior of the world. We represent Jesus. Do we want the stuff that we're doing to matter? Then we have to represent Him well with our mouths. God help me. That was just the commercial break. And we move on to a place where we're going to camp just for a few moments. Verse 27 is this little interesting thing because James is instructing us on, you know, get on your shoes and go out the door and do something. And I'm a person that's like, well, then give me an example, John. If you want me to do something, then give me an example. And I think James heard it. And he says, okay, Mike, here's your example. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Religion that that God finds valuable is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James actually has the audacity to say that religion, which is threskia, which means this, religion is this, religious worship, which means this, worshiping God. You know, in our culture, oh, I'm not religious. Really, you don't worship God? Careful what we say. Careful what we uh, buy into, what the world is trying to sell us. Be careful because it's here. It's in the Word. And he's saying this. 
religious worship, religion that matters to our Heavenly Father, that He cares about, and then He accepts, is this. Caring for orphans and widows and not allowing the world to corrupt you. What does being a missional disciple look like? What does this transformation in my heart look like? It looks like this. Going and caring for widows and orphans. Our beliefs, our discipleship needs to be put into action. The example of the action he uses here is orphans and widows. What does he even mean? What is that? Why this? He could have said anything. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to say this. So what does it mean? In James's day, women were dependent on men for survival. A woman would leave her father and mother, who they depended on, and they would marry. And the husband would work, and the wife would keep home, raise children. When a husband would die, do you realize where that would leave the wife and the children? They didn't have anything. Completely at risk. Sometimes women would have to go back to their dad's house. Sometimes they would have to remarry men probably weren't in love with just so that they could survive. You want to talk about dire situation? Can you imagine? Can you place yourself where that woman would be? What am I going to do now? And James is saying this. You who call yourself Christian need to not only in your head believe in Jesus, but you need to be putting that love into action. And here's where it starts. It starts with those who most need it who most need saving, need love. That is what Jesus, that is what God values. But we live in the 21st century, Mike. Things are different now. We have the welfare system. We have... We have more ways to take care of the widow and orphan than you can possibly imagine. So, some people would say that this book isn't very relevant today because, you know, culturally we're not look. You know, I know there's probably women even here that say, I don't need a man to take care of me. I take care of myself just fine. And I think, I say, God takes care of all of us. But the situations have changed, haven't they? So what does this mean for us? What do, what, what do widows and orphans look like today? I would say this. There are more widows among us than you could even fathom. What does the modern widow look like? I had a friend. We sat down. We had a conversation about this. And he says this, Mike. You know what I think? I think that The modern widow goes far beyond 
a wife losing her husband, although that is, that is true, that is tragic, and that, that is. But widows are also made through the abandonment of husbands, through the abuse of husbands, through divorce. We are living among a sea of widows, people who are broken, people who are needy, people who just need the love of Christ. In an America, it's an interesting thing. The culture's changed. The attitude, even in the church, has changed. And, and, and we say, well, not my problem. Not my problem. Oh, come on. You know, you know I'm right, right? I mean, I mean, I've heard among Christian people, they say things like, um, yeah, not my problem. They got into it themselves. They can dig themselves out. Those kinds of things. But James is calling us to care. And, and, and then I want to make an excuse like this. Well, well, then what does caring look like? I mean, well, you know, I mean, it could mean anything. I could just send them, you know, or, oh, bless you as I drive by you on the, on the road. What does caring look like? And I think that it comes back to what we understand about Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, then you do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Jesus fed people. He loved people. He hugged people. He prayed for people. He knew people. He got in there. He got in there with the lepers and He got in there with the prostitutes and He got in there with the sinners and He just elbowed His way in and He said, I love you. I'm here and I'm with you. See, I don't think there's any magic wand that we need to wave around for this. I don't think that there's any great uh, numerical equation inside the Scripture that's going to unlock the key to this. I think that it's simple. I think it's, it's exactly what James said. And he says, therefore, go. Go after them. Every single one of us knows a modern widow. And what about orphans? Do we even... Okay, so you guys remember uh, the movies that we used to watch, the Disney movies where we were thinking about Pollyanna, and they'd have these big, beautiful... Um, orphanages and the kids would just be outside and they'd be swinging from the trees and they and then the one little bad orphan he'd sneak out and eat somebody's apples and it's really endearing and and cute in america we don't have orphanages anymore the government tried to fix that so there's too much abuse going on in the orphanage system so they created the foster system do we have orphans yes they're all around us Children will go to bed tonight without a father. Children will go to bed tonight without a mother. Children will go to bed tonight without parents who love them, care for them. And who's going to do it? Do you think the government could just write a check and, and do that? No. No. That's our job. That's your job. That's my job. Care for orphans. I don't know about you. I want my life to matter. There's days, I'll be honest, there's days, man, I, even, even as a pastor, I go home and I go, does it matter enough? Well, of course, Mr. Mike, what you do matters. Does it matter enough? I want to be broken and spilled out and messy so that When I explode, Jesus just gets all over people. That's what I want. I understand when people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You're mincing words. 
I get it. I've read the bumper sticker, and it kind of made me happy when I read it, except for this, that Jesus was religious and spiritual. I get what you're saying, though. You don't want boring, merry-go-round religion. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just pushing the button. I'm just... I know what you're saying. If you're like me, you want to see God move and you want to see God use you. And this is where it starts. It starts with God doing a transforming work inside your life. And then you just can't help but tell other people. There are widows and there are orphans all around us. Single moms. There are people that are hurting and lost their, their moms and dads. There's people that are they're just gone and they need to hear Jesus. And I know I, I know the excuses. I know the excuses like, I don't want to enable them. I hear that one all the time among, well, I don't want to enable them. You know, because if you start giving, then, you know, they may like want to be my friend. And what you're basically saying is, I just don't want to help them. Well, if I feed them, you know, they're like a cat. If you feed them, they'll keep coming back. You know, they just keep coming around, which basically means you're not interested in doing continued ministry. This one that I just said earlier, they got there on their own. Let them dig their, dig their way out of this hole. You cannot get out of a hole by digging. You get out of a hole from somebody putting their hand in there and pulling you out. And when you say, let them dig out of their own situation, you're saying, I don't remember when I was in the hole. Because each one of us was. And somebody loved us enough to get in there and get us out. I love Paul. I love reading Pauline epistles. He's, he's, he's incredibly cruel in Jesus' name. He says really hard things in Jesus' name. What I love about Paul is, is that somebody discipled him. He became a disciple, and then he went and discipled somebody else. And it happened with me. I want you to think about this just for a second. I want you, honestly, I want you to write this down on your bulletin. I want you to think back to the person that led you to Jesus. I want you to think back to the person that discipled you. Somebody told me this morning, well, God discipled me, and thank God, but, but he used somebody. He used somebody. Write that down. I want you to look at it. I want you to thank God for it. So I think Kurt Reimer, and I think Tom Perry, and Cliff Purcell, and I think Al Miller, and I think these guys that saw something in me. When nobody else did. And now I want you to write down who you're discipling. Who are you going to do that for? Not in, the, in Microsoft Word, the word discipler isn't a real word, so I added it. Just call me Webster. Um, we, we need to be going from disciple to discipler. And that starts, James says, starts just with loving orphans and widows. And so, at one time, it's going to be hard for you to picture this. I was a young, good-looking youth pastor, just starting out. I mean, dumb as a cob, okay? I mean, I didn't know anything. I had no right to be called pastor by the world standards. never been to Bible college. All I had was this call. And a pastor gave me an opportunity and said, you want to be a pastor? I said, well, that's what I'm called to do. And he says, well, go do it. Go. And there's this family. Uh, I didn't really see very much. 
Um, in fact, I only saw the one daughter, and she would come to my youth ministry and, and just kind of be in. If you're a youth pastor, you've been a part of youth ministry, you can know this happens very easily on Wednesday night when they would come in, she'd just kind of fall into a sea of kids, and it was like, eh, get off the Jones Memorial carpet. You know, it's just like, just craziness. And she just kind of came in. But one thing I noticed about her was she was super smart, and she was smarter than me, and I'd be like preaching the word, but she like, Mm-mm, you know, you said that wrong. And I mean, it was just, you know, it's one of those kids that, you know, kept you on your toes. And I mean, I was doing the best that I could. I was just loving kids. And God came in a wondrous way. And I wish you could have been there because it was just insane. I mean, we had like the audacity to think that we could actually do it. And we did it through God's help. And it was cool. It was amazing. And I'll never forget when she came to youth group and life for her was seemingly over. What I didn't know was is that Jenny lived in a home that was extremely abusive, extremely broken. So much so, the reason why we didn't see the folks was he was a complete narcissist. Daddy was a narcissist and mentally ill and would physically and mentally abuse them all, especially the wife, beat her down, tell her that she was horrible. She never left the house. She was like an indentured servant. This guy would, we lived in town, in the town of Whitefish, would shoot um, firearms in the living room to manipulate and to scare. So we didn't know any of that. We didn't know this either. That he went online and learned how to shoot himself in the head so that he could survive. I guess they have a webpage for that. Who knew? And so one night, when him and his wife got in in a fit... And they got into an argument and she started, you know, kind of pushing back saying, you know, this isn't working. He went into the bedroom and he shot himself. The mom and the three beautiful little girls left the house. He survived. We do not know what people are going through got a clue. Two months later, got a knock on my door. Jenny said, Hey, Pastor Mike, can we stay with you for a couple days? My dad's back in town. We're worried he's going to kill my mom. Just a 22-year-old nothing. I don't have training for this. I live in a three-bedroom ranch, 900 square feet. Was I really going to let him in? Yes. He come in. We piled him in like cordwood. The old, oldest daughter brought her boyfriend. I don't know. It was weird, but we were just loving people in Jesus' name. You want to talk about fear? I had to worry about a guy coming to my house to kill people. But here's what I knew. That the love of God is greater than anything that the Satan can throw at me. And that's what James is saying here. Do you want your life to mean something? Do you want your religion to matter to God? Then it starts with other people first. Other people-centric. Other people. Start with the widows and orphans. Why? Because they can't help themselves. And who's going to help them if you don't? The government? That's a slumber party I will not soon forget. 
God isn't interested in cruise control Christianity. He desires warriors willing to sacrifice their own needs for the sake of broken people. That is our call. Who's with you? Who's in? I don't want to die someday and then put me in the ground and then have something. He was a nice guy. If they get around to putting me in the ground, they get around to putting something on my, my tombstone, I wanted to say, man on fire for Jesus. Let the passion of Christ flow through you. Let the fire of God flow through you. And let your, as you explode, let it get all over everybody. Because that's what it is about. And if you're with me, stand with me. Let's pray. Lord God, we want a fire. We want this life to matter. Oh God, at the end of the day, I don't want to even have a question. Did it matter enough? I can't stand cruise control Christianity. I can't stand it, God. I can't stand just doing what we've always done because it's comfortable. God, it's hard to care for the widows and orphans. It's messy. It's dirty. It's icky. We go places we don't want to go. But Lord, if we're going to be about the Father's business, we've got to go. And it's more than just our token once a year thing. It's more than just this, this well, I'll throw a, a check at them once in a while. This is about a lifestyle. This is about living for God every single day. Lord, I get excited. I wave my arms around and I'm really dramatic up here. I hoot and I holler. I pray it isn't for nothing. I'm just passionate. I just I want it to matter. I was in line at Burger King yesterday. The woman was clearly on meth or something. She needs to hear that there's hope. I was in the checkout stand at the grocery store. I don't know why this all has to center around food. It does for me. And you can see in people's eyes they don't have hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. There really is. So don't let me finish the day without sharing that hope with somebody. My prayer is that this church would be your church and that this religion wouldn't be worthless, but it would be something that you value highly. So forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for the times that I mismanaged your time, talent, and treasure. But let these days be new days. Let these days be new days. We love you. We give you praise and glory. Continue to be with our friends, the Bennett. Our hearts are there and our bodies are here. Bless those. There's many among us that are sick. Lord, touch them. Give them a, a, a special touch today. Lord, we pray for this, 
a barbecue that we're going to have just in moments, Lord. Um, I love the assembling of the saints. I love it when we get together and we eat. I like to eat, God. Thank you for food. And bless this time that we're together. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, God loves you so much. And he's already put in you what he wants to use through you. So just do what you love doing and do it for other people. In Jesus' name, go. Amen.